Hey, this is Jen, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adults Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Okay, we are in Matthew 3, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken of the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." Okay, now we're moving to Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Close your eyes for a second. Don't worry, nothing's crazy gonna happen. No one's gonna paw you in the face or anything weird. Just close your eyes. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, you are here. But I confess and I see that there are obstacles to hearing your voice. Father, I am confident you have spoken to your children tonight. 
and many of us cannot make out your words. We come in feeling condemned. We come in with our sin and our struggles and our pain. Some of us come in with our arrogance and pompousness. Some of us coming in feeling high. Some of us come feeling low. But Father, I ask that you would have your Holy Spirit pierce our hearts today. Make straight the path, Holy Spirit. Let us hear you today. Make yourself known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that wasn't the way I was going to start my sermon, but sometimes the Holy Spirit asks us to move in different directions. Uh, I would imagine that as we sang this last song, I would imagine that even as we began the first song, that God started to speak to you. Do you know what he's saying? Do you know what he's telling you? Do you think you can make his voice out? I don't know what he's telling you. (laughs) Half the time, I don't know what he's saying to me. And that's part of the problem. But before we get there, again, deviating, I really do want us to take a moment to thank all the people that put this night on together. Okay, we can all do that, right? Y'all started clapping before I even said who. Can we hold on? Okay, you can go ahead, yes. Yeah, I wanna thank our different teams, our volunteer teams, our blue shirt team that helped connect with people. Uh, people who helped uh, put the food out there, making the name tags. Our worship team, anyone gonna have a, you know, there, we put our hands together for that. Uh, I want to give a special thanks uh, to Annika and Jade. Can you all stand up for one quick second? Annika, Jade, where you at? Annika's over there in the blue hat, says doing things. Jade's back there in the corner behind the computer. Uh, they, uh, as in every week, they play a large role in how we gather together. They put their minds together um, along with the rest of the team to create an evening that, uh, that fosters uh, connection and interaction with Jesus. And the truth of it is, uh, here at Mosaic Young Adults, we uh, do have such a wonderful team of people who love and care for this community. And these teams don't just consist of young adults, uh, but also include pastors, staff members, other mature believers that come into this space desiring to pour into the lives of young adults. And really, this is my first uh, fall kickoff as the young adult, uh, young adult director. And man, like, I just want you to know, like, I love this place. Like, like, like whether this is your first time or it's been the millionth time for you or however long you've been here, um, I know I feel at home here and I hope that you come to or already do feel like this is home for you and know that you will always be walking alongside other fellow disciples of Jesus focused on continually seeking God's presence. And so if you were with us a couple months back in February, um, it was the very first sermon I gave as young adult director, and it was a vision night. And the question that I posed for us as a community and as a ministry, one that I posed to myself, the question was, what happens to God's people when we seek God's presence? And so we went through uh, Exodus 32 and we went through Exodus 33 and looked at the life of Moses, the way that, that God interacted with Moses and God interacted with, with his people. And we saw ultimately that as God's people seek his presence, we would find his goodness. 
Okay, and then his goodness would turn us, uh, turn to lead us to repentance. It would cause us to worship him. It would make us thirst for his presence because we know that where he is, there is goodness. Ultimately, as Will, I kindly really started preaching my sermon for me, was that, was that the one thing this ministry is focused on is God and God alone. That if God is not here, if God is not in it, this ministry has no business with it. That if he's not calling us to do something, we won't go into it. But if he is in it, and if he is calling us into something, then we go in full confidence and obedience. And you know what I've seen the last eight months? Y'all did it. Like y'all been doing it. Like you've been obedient to this vision and to this mission, not because I asked you to be, because I actually think you all finally started to taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Like truly, like if you don't believe me, just think about if you've been here for a while, if you've been here before I became director, you knew what plagued this ministry. It was the gossip and the vitriol. It was the clicks that made people not want to come back here. And guess what? Look, you're all sitting in tables that with people you don't know, talking to people, knowing each other. These cliques do not seem to exist here anymore. And before, this used to be really just a young college-age ministry where young adult guys, young adult girls hope to find their spouse, and many of them didn't. I didn't, you know? Um, and, but the truth of it is, is that by your obedience, by your desire to seek after God's presence, this place has become a safe haven for all young adults. Whether you're married or single, engaged, dating, whether you're a young professional, whether you're a college student, whether you're working in the business world, or whether you're working at Starbucks, like you have can come here and meet with Jesus. And some of you, yeah, there we go. Yeah, you have. And discipleship has occurred in, in formal settings and in informal settings, whether it's in community groups, whether it's over coffee or over food, or hey, I, I, I'm struggling through this. I need you to come over. And people going to serve one another. And listen, my favorite part is that many of you have finally taken ownership of this ministry. I really mean that. Like it isn't just on me and the core team to guide this ministry, but you have decided to come alongside and serve this church and serve your community, whether it's teaching kids the gospel on Sundays or it's participating in our, on our worship team and our production teams throughout the week and then on Sundays or whether you've dedicated to teaching knuckleheads that are middle schoolers and, and high schoolers on your Wednesday nights or knuckleheads here on Thursday nights, whether you've come here to serve in this space. I mean, like, let me just tell you, I love what this place has become. I love what God has and is doing in this place. I love it so much that I truly would give everything that I could to this ministry, as I see some of you as well. But as we move forward from here on out, as we move as a ministry, what may happen, however, is that we may start to become tempted to think that the transformation that has occurred in our lives and in this space and in this church is because of you. But I need us to know that isn't really the case. Because the growth and the transformation that we've seen in this community is due to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Whether or not you are aware of it, whether or not you can hear his voice and whether or not you can see him moving, the Holy Spirit has been faithful to be active and involved in our lives. In fact, it's been involved in the life of God's people since the very beginning. 
If you look all throughout church history, we learn that to be a believer of Jesus would mean almost certain death. Just read the first hundred years of the church. To be a disciple would mean not just I proclaim that I love Jesus, but is that you would love him so much that you'd be willing to die for him. But the continuation of the church, the fact that after two millennia that we are still here, that the church still exists, the fact that this ministry has existed after some years of turmoil is not because we were faithful, but because God has been faithful by working in his people through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. But I would argue that the Holy Spirit is the forgotten part of the Trinity, right? How many of us start our prayers with saying, Heavenly Father, anybody? Yeah, or in Jesus' name. How many times have you included the Holy Spirit in your prayer? Truly. But even Jesus really heightens the role of the Holy Spirit. He says in John 14, 26, that the Holy Spirit is the divine helper who will teach us and guide us. Jesus, our Savior, our King, the one that we proclaimed song after song, highlighted who, who the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit is the one that if you are a believer in Christ, is the one who made you spiritually alive. That you were in death and now you are alive in Christ because of the Holy Spirit. That he is the one who presides and resides in you. First Corinthians chapter two says that. And then in Romans 8, 26, 27, the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us. And then finally, Ephesians 1, I mean, you just read Ephesians, amazing. But 1, verses 7 to 20, it says that it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and seated him on the right hand of the Father. Okay, I understand this. Like, I, the Holy Spirit is the power that brought Jesus, our Savior, from death to life and has put him on the right hand of the Father. Like, do we, are you aware of the power that is there? And it is the power that lives in you and in me. But quite often we get this mixed up. We think it's our efforts that trump the work of the Spirit. Because we forget the magnitude of the Holy Spirit's power. And then we look to begin to, to look at ourselves and, and depend on ourselves to do bigger and better things as a community. I mean, nothing plagues a young adult community than this. The lights and the, the bells and the whistles and the this and the that. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad that we could afford Chipotle. That stuff's expensive, you know, but I'm glad. I'm glad the church allowed us to have Chipotle. I'm glad that we can have ice cream after this. I'm glad that we're gonna have, be able to play spike ball and that we have a worship team to come. I'm glad that we have this place because you know what? Like not many churches get to have this opportunity. That is by the work and grace and gift of God. But then when we, when we focus on ourselves and us trying to make this bigger and better, not excellent, but bigger and better to make this seem more amazing, that becomes our end goal. And then this whole ministry starts to, to focus on uh, by measuring success by how many seats we have every Thursday night. And then we, instead of us being dedicated to, to truly knowing and experiencing the person of Jesus, we begin to care about how entertaining Thursdays are, whether or not we're singing the latest Hillsong or the last Maverick City album, as amazing as it may be, instead of, of being focused and wanting to see young adults transformed by the very Spirit of God. 
Do you can see how these two pictures are not the same? And what God is calling us to tonight and, and moving forward is that we would not be a ministry that is focused on the first, but on the latter. That this be not a place that is focused on self-gratification. That is not a, a, a place that we are known for because we have hundreds and hundreds of young adults come in here and that this becomes more of a venue than it becomes a place of worship. We want this place to be a place of renewal and transformation. And we do that by recognizing that God has designed you and me to live a life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Do you think of your life that way? Let me ask you, like, 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 don't have to answer me back, but like, if you want, go ahead. You know, I, I'm just that kind of preacher. Like, I just like people when they respond. But like, do you ever respond? Like, do you ever think about your life as being empowered and guided and known by the Holy Spirit? But see, Acts 1.8, he tells us that the Holy Spirit will come upon believers of Jesus and will empower them to witness to the goodness of God. So unlike Moses, where Moses only could see from afar the goodness of God, he would not be able to be the partaker of goodness the way we are today. On this side of, on this part of the redemptive story that we are existing in, in Christ, we get to be seers of God's goodness and partakers of the goodness by being proclaimers of that goodness. But if we do this, brothers and sisters, family, if we do this in our own efforts, we will fail to experience the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. And we do not want to miss out on that because again, if the Holy Spirit is the one that brought the Savior from death to life, what will he not do here? What can he not do here? Because some of y'all need to take this power home. To see your, your families and your homes transformed, you need to take this to your jobs so that your coworkers would know the power of Jesus. You need to take this out into a community out there that is dying and broken and alone, that they would know the power of Jesus and they would see his goodness. But not if you do it in your own strength. And he uses you and I. See, this, this, is, this is a very big deal to God for us to know his power and to experience the strength of the Holy Spirit because he's calling us to a mission. And that mission simply is to seek the lost. That's what this ministry exists for. Yes, that we would come together and know Jesus, but that we would go and seek the lost and tell them of the one who's found us. And he uses you and I to accomplish this task, but he assures us this work will only be done by empowering us with the Holy Spirit and nothing less and nothing more because there is none. And we don't need this power just to reach the lost, but we even need it to traverse in this dark and broken world. So what I don't want you to hear as I keep going is that we're trying to add more to your to-do list. No, 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 no. What, what, I'm, what I'm hoping you'll hear tonight is that God is calling us to expand the vision of what our lives are meant for and what life with God and the Holy Spirit really looks like. What I would like for us to consider tonight is what does a spirit-empowered life look like and what will that mean for our community? That being said, let's open our Bibles to Matthew 3, the first text of our evening.
So as we read through the text for tonight again, we will find ourselves reading about who? John the Baptist. John the Baptist, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Good job, y'all. And like us, John the Baptist was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Luke 1.15 tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was in his mother's womb. And this is not a natural occurrence. Because prior to Pentecost, which you'll find in Acts 1, which is when the Spirit of God would begin to fill all believers of Jesus and from that point on would continue to dwell in believers, the Holy Spirit did not dwell upon men and, and would only dwell upon men and women from time to time, but would not dwell with them on a permanent basis. And the reason we are centering on this text is because John the Baptist understood what it meant to live a spirit-empowered life. And, and I believe this will give us clarity into what God desires for this community, both on a, communal, on a corporate level and individual one. The first thing we'll notice as we go back through this text is that spirit-empowered living leads us to be a voice in the wilderness. Let's read verses one through three. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching into the wilderness of Judea. This was his message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying into the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So the bulk of John the Baptist's ministry would actually be in the desert. He wasn't in the cities trying to make a name for himself but was faithful to proclaiming the message of the Christ that would come. Repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we'll get a little bit into that a little bit later and what that means. But the question as we read these first few verses that we have to ask ourselves is what does it mean to be a voice in the wilderness? If, if again, if we go where the spirit is leading us to, we have to ask why? Like what, what, do, you, what do you want from us in this place? So to have a voice means to have a message which we already know, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then we need to know where we're going, which is the wilderness. It's a location, it's the desert. But there's more happening underneath the surface because to be a voice in the wilderness requires us to examine the world around us and recognize that this world is a rather dry and lifeless place. Don't you think? Except Florida is like kind of humid, you know, so it's like kind of wet, but still, you know what I'm saying? And, and I, so the thing is, I lived uh, most of my life uh, in New York City. And, and New York City is always, you know, it's in the movies and it's in the songs and Alicia Keys, you know, New York. You know, like, it, like there is a glamour attached to the city that is New York City. It has high paying jobs, got a lot of aspiring models, actors and musicians. So, you know, there's just really good looking people everywhere. And there's exclusive clubs and bars and universities. And, but underneath all that veneer, the makeup, the lights, the stardom, the fame, there's really nothing. It's like a desert. I was meeting with a pastor friend of mine, Tanner, who actually will be preaching here in a couple of weeks. And we were just talking about the spiritual landscape of Orlando, which really, if you just take a moment to see, is a spiritual desert. Winter Garden is a spiritual desert. And he was reminded of a commencement speech given by this man named David Foster Wallace, who was a brilliant author and thinker. And he gave this speech, this very profound speech, uh, focused on the hopelessness, hopelessness there is in life uh, to a bunch of college students. Imagine that, you're graduating college and he tells you, 
man, this life sucks. <laughs> and then Wallace, not too long after giving this speech, uh, commits suicide. But I'd like us to read, I'd, I'd, read, I'd like to read a portion for us that, that really spoke to me and what I think helps me understand what it is that we're speaking into as a community of believers. Just bear with me here, it's a little wordy. He says this, <clears throat> because here's something else that's weird but true in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life. There is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping because everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC, Jesus Christ, or Allah, be it Yahweh, or the Wiccan mother goddess, or the four noble truths, or some just set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel like you have enough. It's the truth, he says. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing your wrinkles, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already, he says. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every story. The whole trick is keeping, up the, is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, he says, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about all these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, which I disagree with, they are. It's that they're unconscious. They're happening in the back of our minds and there are default settings. It is what is inside of us, he says. He says, this is the kind of worship that you just fall into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. And he ends with this. He says, and the so-called real world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because the so-called real world of men and money and power hums merrily along in a pool of fear and anger and frustration and craving and worship of self. Our own present culture has harnessed these forces in ways that have yielded extraordinary wealth and comfort and personal freedom. The freedom, all of us to be lords of our only tiny little skull-sized kingdoms alone at the center of all creation. This kind of freedom has much to recommend it. But of course, there are all different kinds of freedoms and the kind that is most precious you will not hear much talk about in the great outside world of wanting and achieving. This is his answer, he says, to living a life that is not like that, endless and pointless. He says, the real important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline and being able truly to care about other people and to sacrifice for them over and over in a myriad of petty, unsexy ways every day. It's a lot. I'll give you a summary if you tuned out for a second. What he's saying is, that tapping, what he's tapping into is that in our own little kingdoms of self-worship that leads our world, that leads our communities and cities, our homes, it leaves it dry and dead because they cannot give you life, but only take life from you. So his advice, his advice was to be kind and nice and selfless to others. He really believed that. That the answer to the dryness of life is to be kind 
and nice. And then he killed himself. Well, this thing's not, isn't it? If that's not the answer, and the things that we think make Christianity isn't the answer, like the kindness and niceness and all those things, then, then what is it? See, this is, what, this is why a spirit-empowered life leads us to be a voice in the wilderness. Because in being a voice in the wilderness, God allows us to carry a message for his creation that would undo the state of death and destruction that we are currently living in because he wants to make this world renewed because he's designed for his people to know life and life in the fullest. And as we read these first few verses, the term wilderness is more than just a simple geographical identifier. It's not just even spiritual because the voice in the wilderness is a reference to Isaiah chapter 40, verse three. And I'll give you a summary. What he says in this passage is that in that wilderness, this message that that is being proclaimed will flip everything upside down, which is what the gospel does. And in the Old Testament literature, when you read the word wilderness or the desert, you would know these were symbols of death. And so for a voice to make a path in the wilderness was supposed to indicate that a new thing was coming. And so what God is calling for you and for me to do as a voice in the wilderness is to tell the world that there is a new life for them in Christ that is sustained and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is a real message of transformation. So the spirit leads us, y'all, into dark and broken spaces so that the message of life would finally be heard there. Let me ask you, is your voice a voice in the wilderness? Because we think, honestly, I know a lot of young adults, we think we do the world a favor when we package Christianity like in this nice little box. Like, hey, don't worry. Like my pastor's not too crazy. He's not gonna say anything too like critical. Like he's not gonna be like, he's not gonna call you out. Like, no, 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 Jesus. No, he just, he's a nice guy. You know, he just has a couple of good proverbs. No, 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 don't, no, don't worry. Like you don't have to give up everything that you love. We package Jesus and Christianity and the Christian life as this normal thing that anybody can do and that, that it, it like costs nothing. When scripture tells us, when the voice in the wilderness tells us that Jesus is anything but ordinary, that he is the one who takes away the sin of the world and has called you and me to be spirit-empowered disciples of Jesus that preach a king and a kingdom that has arrived to bring life to his people. Has that been your message? Because his message is hard. This message is difficult. It's not one that people want to hear. It's not one that I even want to hear sometimes as a believer because at the center of this message of grace is a life of repentance, of turning away from death that was towards the life in Christ that is now. Repent, John says, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Our message is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And you see, John is, is preaching this message to everyone, but he seems to have this special encounter with these Pharisees in verse seven. Let's look really quick. He says here, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to him, you brood of vipers. Like John was trying to fight, you know what I'm saying? Like he was like, and he war who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit 
in keeping with repentance. You see, these two groups of Jewish people were powerful, influential in the Jewish community. And no one could tell them how to change their lives because they were the ones telling the world how to change their life. And really, everything that they told the Jewish community to do only left the people feeling anxious and arrogant. Anxious in that they could never actually complete the law and arrogant because they would kid themselves into thinking that they did the law better than others. So he calls them these broods of vipers. And so something that you want to know, the reason he calls them that is because desert vipers are dangerous. It's not just because they're poisonous, but it's because the way, they're, the, way the scales are is that if they stay still, they just look like a dead branch. And when you touch it, it strikes its fatal blow. And it's not very too different than the, than the teachers of today of the, what we see in the world because really the teachers of today outside of Christendom, they, they say that, their, that the way they live their life is, right, is quite harmless. But the truth of it is that this world is created on a structure that is not meant for your flourishment, but would consume and use you to leave you, to, and, uh, to consume you and use whatever is left of you to further build the kingdom of death. They proclaim a message of liberation, but at what cost? So you really want to feel successful? You know what you got to do? Wake up every day at 4 a.m. to doggy dog a world out there. You got to go when everyone else is sleeping. Anyone heard that one? Yeah, not me, because I don't wake up past nine. You know I'm saying like, <laughs> I mean, like, you, like you, you really want to feel loved? Man, you better, you better like, and this is unfair for the woman in the room, but you got to put out. So they tell you, right? Like you, like, like you really want to feel loved by a man? Give it up. But that's fine. Don't worry. Like you'll find it eventually. And this message, these messages get integrated in our brains, in our minds, in our hearts. And it becomes all that we are. And it says that we're liberated. And all it does is enslave us. And some of us in the room could argue, if you're not believers, well, that's just what the church is, isn't it? Isn't that what Christianity is? But no, it's not because what God is calling for in repentance is not binding us to death because it's calling us to let go of the things that consumes us. See, the reason the church has struggled to preach this message of repentance is because it is so quick to call out other people's sin before you even look at your own. Y'all heard me? This ministry will never do the will of the Father if we are first quick to condemn others before we're willing to submit our own sin before the Father. And the Spirit, the Spirit is here to convict us of our sins in order that we would move away from the life of death that was towards freedom in Christ that could be now. And when we do this, our gospel proclamation finally becomes beautiful. We're not just telling the world, do this because you're dumb. He's saying, do this because honestly, it's beautiful and free. Our message of repentance no longer becomes a, a pocket of hypocrisy, but of one of complete transformation. And John recognizes this as he preaches, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Because he recognizes that at the heart of transformation is Christ. Let's look at verse 14, look what he, 11, what he says. Talking about the baptism of repentance, he says, I, I baptize you. I, John, can only baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the 
Holy Spirit and fire. See, a major role of the Holy Spirit is to place the spotlight completely on Christ. So if that's his role and the Holy Spirit dwells in believers and we're called to be a voice in the wilderness, what is it that our words are supposed to point people to? Christ, to make much of Jesus, not of this ministry. I don't care if we don't have another person ever come into this room. I really don't. I don't care if there's 10 of us or a thousand of us. I really don't. And I would hope that you wouldn't either. I would hope that what you sell, not even sell, what you win people with is Jesus. Nothing else. But that requires us to let go of what we think ministry is and what we think this community is about. It is not about us being cool and relevant and awesome. It's about pointing to the one who is mightier than anything else, one who can bring true transformation. And this requires humility. I mean, the reason I, not the reason why, but the reason, one major reason why I'm blown by, the, by John the Baptist is of his style choice. Look at it, verse four. Like this is like on the cover of GQ. He wore a garment of camel hairs and a leather belt around his waist. He's like the true vegan, OG vegan. His food was locust and wild honey. Like this is crazy. I need you to know something about John the prophet, uh, John the Baptist. He, Jesus says that John the Baptist is the greatest prophet to ever exist. And he is wearing camel hair clothing. That's not like organic cotton or silk, y'all. I need you to know, like, it is better for you to like, just, I don't even know. Like, I can't even imagine, like, put porcupines on and say, like, just let yourself be stunned by porcupines. That is better than what he was wearing on a daily. Like, I just need you to know, like, how uncomfortable that is for a man. Like, it's just, it's just not great. And yet, he did not copy the attire of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rich and powerful of the time, he did not. Because his whole life was meant not to point to himself, but to point fully on Jesus. And so as we look about what we are as a community, our job, our desire, and and what our desire should be is to fix our eyes on Jesus because that's the only way we can keep our eyes on the mission So instead of us building up our own kingdoms, the greatest commandment is not that you would become great. It says to love God and to love others. It's always outward focused because when it turns the other way is when we become ensnared. But all these things don't just happen naturally, do they? Do we? We're not like naturally just going out in the wilderness and telling people repent. We are not naturally repenting ourselves. We're like, oh, it's fine. I'll get you next time. Like we write a list, like a mental list. Like I'll bring these hundred next time. But while the spirit of God dwells in believers, we don't just naturally bend towards the work of the spirit because we have an enemy. You want to take a guess who it is? It's you. And we, play, we talk so much about Satan and demons and all that. Not that he's not a formidable foe, but it is your own flesh that wreaks more havoc 
than anything Satan can do. Let's turn to Galatians chapter five and we'll finish with this. You were like, is this the fall kickoff? Like I was trying to have fun. <laughs> Blame the spirit, this is what he taught me to do. So he says, verse 16, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for those who are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the other things you want to do. But if you are left, led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You see the flesh, what it seeks to do, what your sinful desires, yes, I will say it. It is your sin. It is not bad thought patterns. It is, it is not misconceptions. It is your sin that will discredit your message and will disavow all that we do here. It is my own sin that will discredit the message of the gospel. Not that it undermines it, not that it robs its power, but it, it, it will stop us from being able to proclaim it in its fullness. And this doesn't mean then to hide it. That's not what it's saying. In fact, what does Paul admonish us here? He says, walk by the Spirit. He doesn't say when you don't walk by the Spirit, you should just run the other way or stop trying. He says, walk by the Spirit. When you can do it well, walk by the Spirit. Even when you do it poorly, walk by the Spirit. It's not about doing more or trying harder. It, really what Paul is inviting us into in this passage is to finally interact with the Spirit of God. Again, back to my point, do you know who the Spirit is? Do you know his voice? Do you know what his will is? That is right, the Holy Spirit has a will for you and for me. And if you want a couple of like spark notes eh, version of like, how do we do this? How do I meet with the Lord more? Because honestly, this would be a whole other message in itself, but it's our gatherings like these Thursday nights, the gathering of the saints on Sundays, our discipleship groups, our spiritual disciplines, the renewing of our mind, of, of us admonishing one another, of encouragement, of exhorting, of using our spiritual gifts. This is how we become to know more. Yes, reading, thank you, Lee, reading the word of God. I love she literally just put the Bible up in the back. Yes, reading your word, meditating day on night on the word of God. This is how we become to know the voice that is the Spirit of God because in order to operate out of the Spirit, you must know the Spirit of God. Is this the most spiritual thing you do all week? Is Thursday the culmination of your spiritual life with Jesus? I was sitting with, with Caleb's parents last night, Lee and, and Jeff Kareen, and Jeff just asked that question. Like he was like asking it like rhetorically and I, and I literally wrote it down. And as I was writing it down on my phone, cause I really was like, oh, this will be good for the message. I was like, this Holy Spirit said, like, you idiot, is this the most spiritual thing you do? And I was like, some, some, sometimes. He goes, yeah, I know. Come to me, come says the Spirit, walk with me, walk by me, know me, love me. Because the, the, the works of the flesh, the worst thing is not that it discredits our voice as a community. 
Here's the worst thing. It gives this full list in verse 19 and 20 and 21. I'll just go through it quickly. It says, uh, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This is what is the worst part. I warn you as I warned you before, Paul says, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Our flesh is not just trying to discredit us. It is trying to take us from the one thing that would transform us, which is God himself. And doubly so, all of these things isn't the problem. The drunkenness, the envy, the rivalries, the anger, these things are symptoms of brokenness that exists in us today. Before I started doing counseling, before I started inviting the Holy Spirit into renewing my heart, I had so many daddy issues. Anybody got one of those? Cool, glad, glad to hear it. And I started realizing my need for validation. I started realizing my people pleasing my unwillingness to say no to anyone at any point, that, 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 my, that I looked at God incorrectly because I expected my, my heavenly father to be just like my earthly father, which was not like, 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 it was a mess. These things aren't the problem. It's that we don't see God correctly, but the only way to do that is by walking by the spirit, inviting him into our lives day in and day out. Because look what's on the other side. Verses 22 and on. But the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Love is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. It's self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the Spirit-empowered life you see what we have access to? Do you see what we're being invited to? Do you maybe see what you've been missing out on? Let's not invite others into the kingdom of God before we even know what the kingdom of God is. So as we invite others, would we know and experience the freedom, the transformation, and the renewal? And all of this all of this requires our submission to the Spirit. I'm gonna invite the worship team up as we finish. You see, I'm just to conclude, we are to walk in a new life empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're moved into repentance and humility and we are able to fight against our flesh and give this community the fruits of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit has already deposited in us. And finally, by submitting to the Holy Spirit, we are able to see Jesus more clearly. This is for you and this is for me. This is for this community to finally, finally, maybe just see a glimpse of what heaven on earth could look like. Would you enter that with me? Would you go into the dark places? Would we invite the Holy Spirit? Would we trust Christ in Christ alone to do what he said he would? I'll pray.
Come Holy Spirit, move in power, as the song just once said. How would we know the heights and depths of your love for us, Father? Would your spirit implant that in us, remind us when we are far and far away? Lord, you have called us into something that requires more than our strengths and efforts to preach a message that is not about us, but is only about you. Would you give us the boldness to proclaim that? Would we submit ourselves to the work of the Spirit? Would we not be focused on doing more, but finally being with you more? Would we hear your voice? Would we know it? Would we accept it? Would we love it? As we sing this last song, Father, I ask that you would speak to all of us today. What is that you want us to hear from you today, Father? Holy Spirit, speak. Speak to our hearts. Speak to the places that we are afraid to go. Speak in the places that we don't even know exist in our hearts. Speak, not because I command or because we expect it. Speak because we know that from your mouth, truth and goodness. May we hear that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.